Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Come on, side, 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 Come on, son. Yeah. It's the Come On, Son podcast, and uh, my name is Ed Lover, and welcome to the podcast, and it's been a long time coming. Uh, before we start this podcast, I'd like to introduce to y'all the man who made Come On, Son possible. <laughs> um, if it wasn't for this guy, there would have never have ever been a Come On, Son. Welcome to the podcast, my man whose studio, he so eloquently and lovely and, and beautifully allowed me to to. Record this podcast out of my man DJ Dramas in the building. We are in Mean yeah, Street Studios up? in Atlanta, Georgia. What's up, my brother? Thank you, man. It's an honor to have you on the building doing your podcast. Well, today. thank you, man, because <laughs> if it wasn't for you, there would have been no podcast in the first place and no come on, son. I know. I'm 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 um I'm honored, you know. At the time I was a little a little aggy, but uh-huh. <laughs> when it first happened, but you know, looking back on it, you know, I'm I'm glad I could have uh helped part of something legendary yeah let me give you the backstory <laughs> on, on on come on son um at a time i think it was a a jeezy party for his for his company wasn't it it was um it was what was it it wasn't a birthday party was it, it for was, cut to, for it was, it was a, a release party was it no nah, because it was after it was way after the mixtape it was like oh seven it was oh seven so i don't know if it was a release but it was a jeezy party at 112 right and um so just to, to so but it wasn't the party the come, come on son happened because me and Jeezy were having issues. That's right. We were That's having what problems, happened. and then you know he was and he was speaking publicly about you know our issues. Everybody kind of knew we were having tension and everything. And then when it was my turn, or when they came asking me, you know where some of our issues came from, I had um, I had mentioned that you know I had played a Gucci Man song at the Jeezy party. Right. And then you know. And that was just part of how I was explaining my story. Mm -hmm. And then, you know. And that was the catalyst for me to do a come on, son, because I really <laughs> wanted to speak on that and a lot of other things that were going on. So I had a little I had a little MacBook and uh I opened it up and I and I started recording myself just doing various stuff and, and I got to that story and I was like, Come on, son, drama, you know this man got beef with Gucci Mane. You don't play no Gucci Mane shit at this man's party when this man is paying you. So 
that was the first I ever done. Now, if it had been for the fact, if I had known how to Chiron, I come from an MTV background. Right. Where everything that I used to do or whatever I used right. to say, when it, whenever I used to do the Ed Lover dance, they would Chiron it and put it on the screen, uh-huh. and it would flash Ed Lover dance. Uh-huh. And I wanted to do that, but I didn't have the means <laughs> or the knowledge on how to do it. Right. So what I did was got a piece of cardboard. I had just moved into my house, and I got a piece of cardboard off a box that I was unpacking. It took a Sharpie, and I wrote, come on, son, on it. And I flashed it up to the camera, and I just kept doing it. And then I, I didn't know what to do with the video, so I gave it to my man Money Nels, who was working at— uh, Shout out to my man Nelson. Yeah, shout out to Nelson. He was working for This Is 50.com right. at the time. Yep. And I gave it's it to Nels. Blog it out. was crazy. Yeah. I gave it to Nels, and he didn't tell me what he was going to do with it, but he just posted the shit. Yeah. And he posted it, and the shit got like 100,000 hits and like— Two days. Nah, the shit went crazy. Yeah, it went bananas. I was a little tight. I'm not going to lie. I was definitely a little tight. I mean, you know, you definitely made a, a, a good point when you said it. But I remember feeling, you know, that was in the midst of, you know, um, shout out to my nigga Jeezy, too. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, you know, we were we were in the midst of it. And I just, you know, I didn't want to take any blame for anything. You know <laughs> and so. that, was the, that was it, man. From there on, people, you know, Nels was like. You know, I remember reading it the first time I I would read the comments. Right. And that's the worst thing you can do when you post something is read the comments. And there was a lot of shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Ed Lover, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. Fuck you, old niggas. Mm -hmm. Stay out of young niggas' business. There was a lot of shit like that. And I remember Nell saying to me, my dude, they watch the shit. Absolutely. And that's all that matters is that they watch it. You got to do another one. And that's how Come On Son started. Thanks to this man, DJ Drama, right here. <laughs> Shout out to my man, Trendsetter Sense, too. You know? Yeah, Sense in the building. Because, you know, I was, we, I was, I remember being a little intoxicated at that party. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and my, my Guwap was hot at the time, you know, and I asked Sense, like, yo, should I play this record? And he was like, yeah, play it. <laughs> and then, <laughs> so, I mean, it's not his fault. You know, right. I, I made the all, my decision on my own. Yeah, of course. Clarify. Yeah, clarify it. All right, yeah. I don't think mic, his, mic, mic, his mic, mic is not on. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's that, get that. Okay, check, check. It's not on. No, nah, that mic's not hot. Um, what number is it? Probably four. Just yeah. turn them up. Yeah. Yo, yo, yo. There you go. All there right, you go. Right. Since tell the story, bro. All right. So hold up. It All was. Right. It, it's a little more detailed than that because at the time, I don't think we knew that the beef was that serious. I think we was just partying. That beef between us and Jeezy at the time that happened two years. No, yeah, yeah. After no, absolutely the party. Okay. So the part that was just that, but Jeezy did get pissed off though. No, yeah, I do remember mad. that. Yeah, no. But <laughs> the beef wasn't like that serious at the time. Oh, we didn't know nothing that seriously. We about shouldn't it. play the record. We shouldn't have played the record. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? On, on some real shit, like that's hindsight. In hindsight, you know, you know it, it, it now. And it's and it's you know it's it's tough. You know what I'm saying? I mean, hey, you know, you know, coming from a, a media standpoint and how hip hop works, and you know us being DJs, and not to. Looking back on it, clearly I would have done things differently. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But you know, sometimes when you, as a DJ, when you're in a zone or you're in a party, you know, and it's music out, and you know, some who's in the building and, and what have you, you know, you can get caught up. I mean, every people have issues. Mm-hmm. You know, and our our job is to you know uh, entertain the crowd. You know what I'm saying? So. You know, it, it it it's a fine line. Right. But granted, it was a Jeezy party. Therefore, okay. you know, right. Mistake made. All right, and mistake corrected. So yeah. you and you guys have been good ever since. Absolutely. Is, is that the great. only? I think is that from my knowledge, that's the only real out there beef you've ever had, besides with the fucking Federal Bureau of Investigation. But is that your only beef ever? Uh, I've had some. I've had a couple issues. Really. Yeah. <laughs> 
have, I've had some. Uh, yeah, I've had I have other been, DJs. My, the name drama is, you know, is the gift has been the gift and the curse. Okay, for sure. Really? Yeah. With like who? With other DJs? Like, um, have I have any issues? Well, you know, there was a, you know, me and MV kind of. There was a Breakfast Club interview we did, and um, um, it, it got a lot of hits because you know we we had a we, he had an issue with me at the time, and uh, okay, you know, we it got clarified on air, but yeah, that was one. Um, me and Slay went through a a, a little moment. Okay, you know, well, and, who didn't Slay go through a moment with? Right, you right. know what I'm saying. <laughs> and I kind of all you know, looking back on it, I felt like. I remember going to the Hip Hop Awards, rest in peace to Justo, uh-huh. um, when I first got nominated. This was like, you know, early on when people started recognizing me for my mixtapes. And I and I was like, you know, Slay was the drama king at the time. You know right. what I mean? And I, I felt like he was going to have an issue with me because of that. You know, so so as I, my popularity started to increase and... Right. Um, uh, sometime after that, I think he made a comment like, you know, I got my name from him, or you know, something to, something to that effect, and 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 whatnot, and you know, which was totally false. Like I've had that name for years, you know, before I had ever heard of Case Lake outside of um outside of Star Wars, you know, but mm-hmm. um, but you know, it wasn't nothing like anything. Any issues I've I've probably had, you know, have have kind of um uh, uh been handled. Okay. You know what I mean? Where did the name drama come from? You know, the name drama came from, um, I had two friends who were older than me. One was his, my man named Hakeem and my other man named Bakari. Bakari was um, from Senegal. His name was Bakari Drame. Okay. And my man Hakeem used to always just call him Drama. And uh, Bakari used to sell mixtapes on um, Broad and Gerard in Philly. And he and um, he, he was also like kind of a reggae DJ. And... Um, I was probably about 15, and I had dabbled in a very couple different names. And I came used to always just say drama, drama. I used to call Bakari that, and um, you know, Bakari. I asked Bakari. I was like, you know, that that's, that sounds kind of hot. Are you what you gonna do with that? And he was like, you can have it. So I just took the name drama and used it. And then you know, throughout my years, um, I moved to Atlanta in '96, and um, I just always felt like. It was going to be real hard for me to to make it with that name drama because it was such a common word in the English language, and mm-hmm. then, you know I, there was a there's a my man trauma shout out to my man DJ trauma who was you know in the late '90s was like murdering Atlanta, you mm-hmm. know, so I really couldn't go anywhere and tell people my name because they would be like, oh DJ trauma, yeah, and or K Slay was out at the time, and it was just like man, this this shit ain't gonna work with this name, you know, and I used to always try to go here and change it and dramatic and go by my real name and I would always come back to drama to the point where just by the time Gangster Girls had really taken off it was DJ Drama and you know here we are. How did a, a young man from Philadelphia and end up in Atlanta, Georgia? Clark Atlanta University. I had um I had came down to visit Atlanta like uh, a couple years earlier with my dad and um you know it just it's just something about Atlanta that I felt at that time you just could you know I always thought I was going to wind up in New York. You know, I was very, I was like a very East Coast type of guy and, and what have you. Was in love with New York and, you know, always saw myself in the city. And then I came to visit um, Atlanta and I came to Clark Atlanta to visit for the school. I remember this was around the time when uh, Buster Rounds Wuha was on fire. And it was just, you know, you could just feel the energy here. Like, you know, young uh, people of color, like just very affluential and, and, um, 
and I just, you know, it was a vibe and, and I wound up getting a um my my father my, my pop was friends with uh the 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 dean of I don't know what it was called, dean of admissions mm-hmm. at the time and uh he helped me get a uh academic scholarship. So it was a no brainer. So I wound up coming to, to CAU. I met since like my first day uh in Brawley Hall, um on when we when we got to school and um, we had like a little DJ battle and um, you know he was from Philly I was from Philly and you know the couple of friends that we had around and we just kind of we clicked and then you know my man Cannon came the next year and and we just you know when in Atlanta I was pretty much just it was totally about the AUC like I didn't know much about you know the city like you know 112 was was foreign and 559 <laughs> was foreign and mm-hmm. you know we were just like college DJs and you know but I I would I pretty much just like started really hustling my mixtapes on campus and getting my name up and did you did you DJ at all on the college radio stations yeah I um we were part of starting um the um the the college station at uh at CAU you know not that they had a jazz station but then there what's it called W W S T U and um you we were there when it when it originally started Oh wow! Yeah, we some of the, me and Sense was probably the first two DJs on the station to play any hip hop at all. To play any hip hop, so it was just strictly jazz. It was a jazz. They had WCLK. That's the jazz station. Okay. And while we were there, they started STU. Tell me about the uh, Philadelphia man and and growing up in Philadelphia and how that uh, influenced how much of a hustler you are. Um, I feel like you know I always tell people like you know that's the one thing that I I feel like I got from Philly more than anything is is the hustle. You know. Um, I don't know. I don't know why it's like that or what it is about, you know, Philly when it comes to that, but you know, just like the 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 kids that were around me at the time or or what I was seeing and everything, you know, I was um it was a good time for hip hop culturally for me. You know, I came up, I watched the Roots get their deal. Mm-hmm. You know, um Bahamadia was my next door neighbor. Get out of yeah, here. Yeah, Bahamadia was my next door neighbor in West Philly where my dad lived. Um so, you know, I watched her kind of, you know, make it. And, um, you know, we was just, you know, we I just, we did it for the love. We did it for the culture. But it taught me um, the hustle was kind of what, what pushed me, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like I brought that element with me. I don't know why, you know, Philly's known for, for the hustling mentality, but but we are. And sometimes, you know, I, I think about it a lot of times because... And the style we, mentality, too. There's a lot of style. A lot of style. That reaches know. out around the world that Absolutely. actually started in Philadelphia. You know, and I even think, like, I used to, you know, try my hand at graffiti, and, um, you know, in Philly there's a style called a wicket, you know, which is very... Philly style, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's very known. And, you know, I, I think, you know, people from Philly, like if you if you know somebody's from Philly, another Philly person will always be like, they're from Philly. And <laughs> and we, 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 we do that a lot. And I don't know if it's, you know, because we feel like we're the little cousin of New York or we have a chip on our shoulder because we, sometimes we don't feel like we get, you know, the love that we should and everything. And then specifically being a DJ from Philly, you know, I mean, we were a DJ we were a DJ city, you know what I mean? I come from a city with whether it was whether it was Jeff or whether it was Cash Money or or Miz or you know my man DJ Ghetto, who's you know Active's older cousin. Like you know he was kind of like a mentor to me at times, and you know a very technical city and what have you. So you know all that came into play when it came to my career and you know how I came up and whether I was I was studying like 
I would study like the mixtape DJs. I would study the battle DJs. Like I would listen to DJ Ran and and uh, and uh, Kobe Kolb and Cosmic Kev on Radioactive. Like mm-hmm. you know that that really shaped my you know early hip hop years. How old were when you? Um, how old were you when you started DJing? And how did you I was, start DJing? I went. I was. Um, I was thirteen. Um, I went to go see the movie Juice. I was going from. You know, eighth grade to ninth grade. I was in that movie for like a half a second. <laughs> you know, you here, here's another tidbit for you. So I'll go on. So I went to go see Juice, and um, uh, this is crazy. I went to go see Juice, and I was like, I was really into skateboarding. And I, I there was this, we had this place called Love Park in mm-hmm. uh, Philly, which is, you know, no longer there as far as where the skateboarders go. And I came, when I got there, like when I was in the skateboarding and I would go down to Love Park, it was around a time when a lot of black skateboarders first started coming coming out. Shout out my man Stevie Williams, who's, you know. Yeah, big shout out to Stevie Williams, man. You know, I, I grew up with Stevie. So, oh, wow. Yeah, we knew each other. I, I met Stevie when he was when he was nine and I was probably 12 or something. And wow. you know, he was like impeccable then. So, but I wasn't all, everybody around me was better than me. I wasn't that good. Um, so when I saw juice and I was like, damn, that shit, you know, that's, I might be able to do that. You know what I mean? That just looks fun. You know? So I convinced my mom to buy me a, one turntable and a mixer. I got a turntable and a mixer and we had a store in Philly called Armand's record, which was at 11th and Filbert. And, I used to go buy records. Probably one of the first records I ever bought was the fucking single off Who's the Man soundtrack. Wow. And on the B side was Big Party and Bullshit. Party and Bullshit. <laughs> probably one of my Which a lot first. of people don't know was Big's really official first record. And also Who's with a lot man, of- Who's the Man, rest in peace, Heavy D. It was That's a, right. Heavy D, it was, it was Heavy D, Who's the Man on the A side. Right. And uh, Big Party and Bullshit was the B side. And what a lot of people don't know about that, and rest in peace, Ted Demi, the, the man who directed Who's the Man mm-hmm. for us and one of the creators of Young TV Raps along with Peter Darty, they both passed on. What a lot of people don't know is because Dre and I actually wrote the story for Who's the Man, we had to sign off on that whole soundtrack. So it was on us to to turn around and give Puff wow. and Andre Harrell that green light to go to add all of those people to that soundtrack wow. and and Big being one of them, man. So you really, really started. That was the foundation. Yeah, of, that was it. My of first because Philly is known for great DJs. Of course, you know, and I and I knew I was like, you know, I was I was hip to some degree, but you know that those that ninety two was 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 when I started. I mean, my first records was Brand New and Punk Shove Up to Get Beat Down. Wow, Super Cat Ghetto Red Hot, uh, Who's the Man, and. Um, yeah, that, those are the first records I remember buying. Those are the first three records that you yeah. remember buying. So, curious, uh, curious George. What was that song? Shout called? out to Curious George. Um, was it, I'm curious. Yep. Yeah, we got. I got to find Curious George because <laughs> yeah. he got some stories to tell, and I would love to interview him. So you make the transition in '96, and you come down to Atlanta. Yeah. Once you finished school, mm-hmm. were you already pretty much known around all these black college campuses as a DJ? A little bit, like you know, we were we had become like AUC legends at that point. Like mm-hmm. you know, everybody kind of had known when it came to to you know the hbcus in atlanta like drama sense and canon were those guys you know what i'm saying and i was definitely like i had converted to to you know the tapes turned into cds and everything and i had i had the, a gig that i had um i was working at turner for for a brief minute like my um senior year and then um you know when i i graduated um they let me go at turner and i um I didn't get a job like you know I was like man I'm gonna just do my thing and my 
my a friend of my father, um, Dwight Williams, was uh was working who works with John Singleton was working on uh, Baby Boy. Uh, they had we were just about to start the movie Baby Boy, mm-hmm. and they offered me uh, a PA job, a production assistant. So I was you know like hell yeah, you know it sounds good. So I went to if it's the same Dwight Williams, I believe he worked on Who's the Man also. It probably is. Oh, I'm sure <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, um, just the same Dwight Williams. He's originally from Philadelphia. My pop had went to uh, known him for years. They went to high school together. Right. So, but I at the at around that time, um, I was really good friends with Kevin Powell. Kevin Powell was kind of, you know, had had always kind of um, mentored me in a lot of ways, and he was kind of playing, had a man, managerial role in my career, and he's the first person to ever take me overseas. He was taking me for a gig in London, so I went to L.A. I worked on Baby Boy, you know, PA is basically a paid internship. Yeah, kind of go for like getting trash, get, going to Popeyes, doing right. whatever, doing whatever's needed to be. But you know, it was a great ex- short experience. You know, I got to see Taraji's um, first tape when, you know, she got the role and be around John at the time and and what have you. But I had to leave to go to this gig with, you know, Kevin in London. So I told him, you know, I got to go. I got to leave for a minute. You know, I'm going to come back. Long story short, I went to go do the gig and I was like, man, you know, I feel like in the film world, I'm starting at ground zero. You know, it's not like I had an internship at Dre studio. Mm-hmm. So here I got to, I got to make my name all over again. If I'm going to go, because I, I technically went to school for, for film, you know, I kind of had thought that's what I wanted to do, but I was already, you know, kind of doing my DJ thing. So I never went back. And when I got, I, when I got back to Atlanta, you know, I just was like, um, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to just, you know, focus on, you know, my career and since had gotten um since now your pops when your pops had went out on a limb for that for you how did your pops react to you not going back into the film world he wasn't tripping my pop has always been kind of supportive like my mom is kind of more my mom is a is comes from from education like she's a um she's a teacher so my pop used to look at it like my son has the license to print money you know my pop is kind of um so he wasn't he he wasn't um he got it to a sense, you know, so I don't think I don't think it was any hard feelings on anybody so forth. And I think people kind of knew, like, you know, I was nowhere near where I was, but it was like, yeah, he's a, you know, he's a DJ for a living. So. Right. And, um, and you had just come back from London getting paid. Yeah, I just got back from DJ. London. My first time overseas ever was, you know, at the time. And then, you know, I came back to Atlanta. And I just I started kind of, you know, st- started on my my mixtape hustle you know outside of being at school and i had already when i was in school you know i used to like set up a, um a table on campus and just you know kind of hustle my tapes people were like who's dj drama and i'd be like i don't know i just work for him he told oh me, wow <laughs> he told me to be here you know right. so i'm just i'm just selling his tapes and i would make like i would have like a reggae tape i would have a south tape i would have a east coast tape i would have a, a neo soul tape i would just have a spectrum of of uh of projects, whatever anybody needed. And, you know, I would do it that way. And and this guy, Marco from Tape Masters, told me at the time, you know, like we had started Gangster Grills and he was like, yo, you on to something with that. Like, that's a niche. Like, that's because I couldn't compete, you know, with what was going on up top, you know, and I was trying to, mm-hmm. but, you know, it was, you know, I couldn't compete with, with Slay and, and Clue and Greenland and the Who Kid at the time. Like, but when it came to the South, it was, you know, something, it was, 
I, it was something that I was getting the music first. Where did where did that name Gangsta Grills come from? Me and Sense were we Sense, come in and get on this mic, man, because Sense is in the building too. Sense, give me the backstory on Gangsta Grills, bro. Uh, shout out my man Emperor Cersei. Um, I used to intern. Actually, I interned at uh. 107.9 Okay When we was, was in still was at, uh, Yeah when It was Hot 97.5 back then And um, I was Cersei's intern When he was the afternoon guy And um, You know We came up with this tape Remember what was it called How, How the, the South, South was, was one, one. Okay South, we, was called, we called ourselves the Young Guns We was the Young Guns Yeah we called ourselves the Young Guns Hilarious <laughs> And then <laughs> Jerome was like oh, Hula- No we no, saw No this is why this shit is hilarious <laughs> Because I have I used to have Young Guns right here wow. On my arm Because uh, My man Stretch They used to run with Tupac Real real close Who was in the live squad Yep their, I know stress. Yeah, big stress. Their, his crew, his outside crew, little homies were the, were the YGs, the young guns. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. that's crazy. Crazy. Um, so, no, remember, we, we went to Birthday Bash. Well, we had Emperor Cersei offered us a, um, a tape. He offered to pay for us to have a table at Birthday Bash. This okay. Remember, no, shout out to Jelly, because we saw Jelly. Remember when that's when Jelly he died, and Monte, he murdered they us. was killing the yeah, they killed us. They was killing the mixtape game in the South. Yeah. Right. They were the they were the mixtape game in the South. Big shout out to DJ Jelly. Yeah. And then so, so Drum was like, man, you see, we gotta get some money. Like the next birthday bash, let's get a stand. So I told Cersei, and Cersei kind of saw what we had going on, and he gave us he gave us like five hundred dollars. He, he gave us a thousand. He gave us a thousand dollars? He gave yeah. us money to print up the tapes. Yep. Right. And then Drum was like, remember we had a whole bunch of tapes though. Drum mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. was like, we but this birthday tape. bash, we, we got to have a soft tape. tape. And he was like, Gangster Grill, girl. He was, oh, Gangster Grills. And I said, that's it. Oh, wow. And yep. then that was the thing. That was how I started. What was the first, do y'all remember, did y'all have any special? Nothing. On on the first Gangster Grills? No. Listen, I'm Eric Sermon song. music exactly. was on. That was the Just big, like music. That was, was the, the biggest, biggest song. song on there. Are you kidding me? Just like Shake it fast. No, no, that's what, not right. Yeah, Shake It Fat. No, no. Um, wasn't Shake It Fast on there? Was it? It I, was. I don't remember. We spelled it with an S. It was Gangsta Grills with an S. It was a picture of somebody with a gold grills. Yep. Right. Because and then what happened was we did I we did that one together. Then I did a part two, and then this was around the time when everybody was kind of you know getting hosts. Like that mm-hmm. was what was hot up top. Right was host on mixtapes and Puff was hosting tapes and mm-hmm. you know whoever was big at the time and I was like damn I need to get a host for the tape and I asked like three different people who were big at the time and two of them kind of declined. And who were who were they? You could tell. Um, I forget one. It's a of podcast. Them. I forget one of them. The other one, one was Baby D. Okay, okay. Baby, Baby D. D was on fire. Yeah. Baby D was on fire. Yeah. And respect, Baby D basically. You know, looking back on it, I understand respectfully he couldn't, he didn't want to do it because he was part of Big Oomp. And you know, exactly why it was kind of like for him, it might have been some conflict, right? And Big Oomp had mad record stores. I mean, that's what Jelly Monte they all came under the Big Oomp, you know, umbrella. And then, you know, um, uh, I asked Little John, I was like, Can you host the tape? And he was like, Sure, you know, so he came to the crib and you know, he, I have forgot, I had. Told him it was Gangsta Girls four. I don't know why, but I forgot I never did a three. <laughs> <laughs> and then he he did the he did the drops for the tape, and that's hence how the Gangsta Grizzlies. But tell him how the whole Little John thing came together. Well, I met with, Lil, with Cersei. Yeah, I met Little John because I came to visit you at the station. Yeah, and then it's funny because we didn't even know John even knew what we was doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And then John just like salutes drama, yeah, like, like goes like this to me. And we first like, time I meet him, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like you. I'm look. I'm 
DJ Drama, you're the fucking <laughs> Little John. Like, right. But he showed love, and then, you know, um, the next time, the next tape, so that was the first tape I had with the host, and, you know, Little John hosted it. It was my first tape I got. It was in the source at the time, and, you know, I was hype, and um, the next time, it was time. To, that was when my man Marco from Tape Masters was telling me, like, yo, stay on this. Like, you're on to something. Right. And um, the next tape, I didn't have a host, so I was like, I'm just going to use John's voice again, and it kind of, you know, I started to really realize and 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 started to focus on the fact that I was building a brand, you know, that was even kind of, you know, besides people knowing who DJ Drama was, people were getting familiar with Gangsta Grills. And, right. um, you know, the style that was popular in the South was like, they don't want to hear no talking. Hmm. They don't want to hear no new music. <laughs> like, they don't, you know, stick to the hits and just, you know, blends and mix. And we kind of went against the grain, and I was taking everything that everybody was doing up top and applying it to Southern music, mm -hmm. okay. which everybody was telling me was not going to work. And I started talking shit on the tapes <laughs> and, you know, putting drops and getting Killer Mike and T.I. freestyles mm -hmm. early and putting this shit out there, and it's it caught on. Like, everything that people were saying they don't want to hear in the South, they did. Right. Tell them about the time when Tip first came to the crib. Tip, I tell, gotta, tell, tell them about that crib we had. The, the yeah, so shack. we had a little, we had a little duplex. It was like basically like a little shack off um, Glen Iris. Um, what's that name? What's it called now? The new Fourth Ward. It's Fourth Ward. Yeah, old Fourth Ward. The old Fourth Ward. It's called Old Fourth Ward. It used to just be called Fourth Ward. And um, Coach K lived around the corner from us. That's a whole okay. other story. That's how we met Coach K. Um, <laughs> I got a phone call randomly. You know, I was putting little tapes out, and um, phone rang and. Uh, he called me and said, "Yo, my name's Jason Jeter. You know, I have this new artist. Uh, his name is uh, his name is Ti. We just signed a deal with LaFace. You know, he's got a record with Beanie Siegel. That's how he sold it to me. Mm -hmm. so he's got a record with Beanie Siegel. <laughs> That's that Philly connection, yeah. right? Right, so, right. So, and I didn't, you know, looking back, it's so crazy because the way you know how it is now, Ed, like you know, with social media, like my phone, the 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 a mass of people saying, please listen to my music. Jason Jeter called me." He was like, I got a new artist. I wanted to have him come through and freestyle for you. So I was like, yeah, all right, cool. Come through. So since, you know, this guy called me. He's coming <laughs> through. Um, so Jason and Tip walked in. Uh, Tip was still wearing his little bifocals at the time. Very quiet and, um, you know, very reserved. Didn't do much talking. And um, we went. I, I Where I would make Gangsta Grills was pretty much where people um, in that crib where people had their um, laundry uh, had the washer and dryer machine. Okay. Tip came in the room. I put on a, a mill, uh, Jay Z and a mill for the fan beat, and he started spitting. And you know, during the rap, he said he was the king of the south. And you know, so I, you know, don't nobody even know who he is though. Yeah, wow. never, That's never the... heard of him. Day in my life. And he's saying he's the king, king of the, of the south. south. <laughs> so I'm listening to him. Da da da. Yo, appreciate you, my bro. Good looking. They left. I say, yo, since this nigga just came in here and said he was the king of the south. I'll never forget He's that. He's tripping. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, that was my how my relationship with uh, Tip and Jason started. And around that same time, you know, Coach K lived around a corner from us. And, um, you know, he used to have this group called Jadis that he used to always bring us music from and everything. And he was like, yo, I'm working with this new guy named Young Jeezy. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, they used to have this Come Shop Come Shop With Me was the name of his album before our mixtapes. And uh, he had this van, this Come Shop With Me van. And, <laughs> and they used to do shows. Jeezy used to do shows in Macon. So... Uh, Coach K would bring him to the, this this crib, you know, the, the crib that Little John's been through, Ti, so everybody came yeah. through this little hut we had, and um, 
I would make Jeezy like uh, show tapes. He would give me like a hundred dollars. I would make his little show tapes for him. And uh-huh. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. You know, I first met Ti. I was down here. I don't remember what I was in Atlanta for, um, but um, I remember walking around the corner and uh, it was something to do with music. And this dude walked up to me and he said, "Hey, uh, hey, Ed Lover, how you doing? My name is Tip." Everybody go, and he was so polite, yeah. and that's the reason why I remember him mm-hmm. out of everybody. Because you know, you run into a lot of people, and they be like, "Yo, this is my man. He's ill. His name is whatever, whatever." You gonna hear about us? Mm-hmm. And I can remember that this dude was. Our first thing that struck me, he was so small, and then he was so fucking polite, mm-hmm. and he kept going. He was like, "You know, um, I got, I just signed on the face. I got an album coming out, man. You, you know, I just wanted to say hello to you. I, I enjoy what you do. You know, enough, a lot of respect to you, and you're gonna hear from me very soon. Don't re- just, you know, my name is Tip, but I think they're gonna make me call myself Ti because right. of Q Tip. Yep, Tip was. And I was like, time. wow, okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I just remember years later when I, I just remembered how polite mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and reserved he was for somebody that was a rapper. Yeah, you know, and it was, and it. it was crazy. So. Coach K is around the corner. He's Coach bringing you stuff. Corner. So you got Little John coming through, yep. T.I. coming through. Mm-hmm. Gangsta Grills at this time is starting to really pick up steam. It was still it was still early. I was still moving them myself a lot. Okay. Like I was going to CAU, Spelman, Georgia State, hustling CDs. I would start, I would start calling like, you know, all the stores on the East Coast, like, hey, my name is DJ Drama. I have this, you know, Southern mixtape, and stores would be like, yo, nobody's really checking for South music like that. And I was like, listen, I'm going to just send you a box, you know, check it out, take it for free, let me know how they do. Hmm. So stores started hitting me back like, yo, they, you know, those things started, you know, they were moving, like we, we need a couple more. And I would just go to like, you know, um, how New York has Canal Street, Atlanta has kind of like the flea markets and what have you. Mm-hmm. And they would just, I would go in the flea markets and, and, and start kind of just moving CDs myself. We did like um, Gangsta Grill 6 um, with Killer Mike, Bone Crusher, and uh, David Banner. And that CD, you know, that was still at a time when it was like, it was Gangsta Grills was still a compilation. It was just like, it was just the hottest songs out. And um, it had everything on it and I remember we, I went to the bootleggers and it was just like this was around the time when Get Rich or Die Trying was out and I seen like an, a mass amount of, of bootlegs of my tape and I was excited like oh nigga I made it like they bootlegging right. me you know what I'm saying and then I was like oh my god they're making way more money than <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I was just I was just hyped to see it and then um, what happened was uh, I had I got another call from from Jason Jeter, and he was like, "Listen, man, you know, um, I want to do a take. I want to do something special where it's like just all Ti and PSC and Grand Hustle." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Yeah, let's do it. I'm with that." And that tape kind of that was um that was the first project that was the first Gangsta Grill that was like kind of what became the street album, which was all mm-hmm. Ti and all PSC and Grand Hustle music. So T.I. was the very first one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's backtrack a little bit. You said when you were doing Gangsta Girls before, up to number six, mm-hmm. it was a compilation of all the hottest music. Where was this music coming from? How were you acquiring this music? Because that's one thing about Clue. When Clue was dropping mixtapes, mm-hmm. and we would go crazy for Clue tapes, Clue had shit nobody else had. Mm-hmm. He always was the first. He always was the first with the new Jay-Z, the first with the new Beanie, the first... How were you getting this music? I mean, we were getting, we were pretty connected with like with the labels. Artists started giving it to us. Yeah, they started giving yeah. it to us around that time. So, but the different, there was still a difference because you got to think like 
like the, the clue at the time and you know me moving forward I got to that point but we didn't have to be that ahead of the curve because you know again they just wanted the hottest records out so you know here's a a, a compilation with TI-24s, David Banner, Like a Pimp, Bone Crusher, Never Scared, you know, which were still kind of on the cusp, cusp of where they were as far as the rest of the country goes. You okay. know what I mean? So, and you talking shit on these mixtapes, though. That was the, f- did I, when did I, did I start on six? I don't know if I talked, six might have been the first tape we talked on. Hmm. Yeah, I think that was the first, before that I had never said nothing on the tapes. <laughs> okay, and it's so crazy. And just to go, the backtrack too, you know, because like, it's like I didn't really talk a lot on the mixtapes till about that, but I had this teacher at school tell me one time, like, yo, your voice is special, you know what I'm saying? And, um, you know, and I, I were just looking back on it and how much I feel like, you know, my personality and my voice has played a part in my career and those projects, you know, it wasn't till then till I really kind of got a got a gist of it. And I still didn't, I still didn't learn how important I would be to a a couple years later, hence the, when the Jeezy movement. But um, yeah, I was we was you know we were we were within we were in the know a little bit, so we were getting a lot of the music directly from the people and everything. Like you know, David Banner would come see me and and things of that nature. Right, so and just that, drop off music to yeah, you guys because music. they knew that y'all were on to something and it was starting to move. Right, but none of but I will say it wasn't necessarily till that first tip tape where I did a project where you couldn't get none of that music. Unless you had that gangster grills. Right. You see what I'm saying? Like, you know, before that, you know, we were putting together good projects, but you could still, you had a, choices of where to get that. When the tip, Gangster Grills first came out, that was all tip, you had to get that tape to get that. Like, yeah. that's that's when I, people started saying, oh, okay, we th- this is, we got to check for this. Like, yeah. And we, it started, and it really started moving. It, like, it definitely moved started moving. retardedly, and it was all up in New York, and, right. and everybody yep. had it, and it was like, yo, <laughs> look at what dude is doing. Yep. Like, Real you sure. changed the mixtape game for dudes in New York right. to follow suit to what y'all was doing. Right. Real. You know, at first, y'all gave the South a little bit of what we were doing, but mm-hmm. once you started that, and it was all T.I., and it was shit that we didn't hear before, it was now like all the New York DJs started having to grab somebody, well, let me get an all-fab joint. Right. Let me let me do this whole joint with Mano. Let me do this whole 50-cent joint. Like, y'all y'all really seriously changed the game. I credit... 50 and yeah, Dipset. I credited the 50, definitely 50 and Dipset. Like, I to when I did the tip tape, I was basically... I remember after I did it, I felt like, okay, Tip gave me the opportunity to do what I wanted. I was emulating what Green and Who Kid mm-hmm. and 50 was doing. Like, to right. me, 50, 50 is, there was a pre-fifth mixtape game, and then there's the post-50 mixtape game. So, you know, I'm, I come after that in that lineage, and then, you know, when what we did with Gangsta Grill started to, you know, then turn into something else. Because you're right, like, Outside of of us, like who kid and probably uh and uh a few others. That's who kid was it. on? Who kid was still on, like I was? We was looking at who kid shit like this. It's amazing. We did. Uh, green, <laughs> green Lantern. Yeah, Green, and green. green and Who green. kid were our our fucking idols. Like right. shout out to my niggas, Who kid and Green. And then you know, but but um, outside of us, you know, the South 
the South mixtape world was in the South. Mm-hmm. You know, we I was calling stores and coming to New York and trying to get my shit everywhere to to for it to be everywhere. Like, you know, I really still feel like, you know, it's because of the dedication, you know, and what that C D did in New York that people started to really pay attention to how lyrical Lil Wayne was. And, right. You know, Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Was there any backlash from the native AT aliens because you two dudes are from Philly. Like these, how do y'all gonna let these Philly motherfuckers (laughs) come in here? It was a lot of that. It was a a lot of that, but I also feel like there was a lot of embracement. You know, I mean, Atlanta's the type of city where a lot of, you know, there's a lot of migration. So, you know, a lot of people aren't necessarily from here but early on there was you know there was some of that where it was like you know why y'all fucking with them y'all should be fucking with us we are from here we're the supporters absolutely we're your backbone we've been here they just came here from philly (laughs) right to go to school now they're stealing our swag (laughs) and it's all all that for a long time big oop wouldn't carry gangster grills matter of fact gangster grills was probably the first non-big oop mixtape that he wound up carrying in the store Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So y'all, y'all, y'all went through it. We did. I mean, you know, which is, you know, it's at, at the height of your gangster grills of, of you guys and everything y'all was doing. You know, uh, Trendsetter was putting out shit. Cannon was putting out shit. You putting out shit. People are eating this shit up. How many mixtapes do you think you were moving? Because once you got gangster grills, you had to go back. And catalog your yeah, shit. It was thousands. I mean, it was hundreds of thousands. Definitely, like I remember the. I knew it would change when we had that office, the first office, and office. you couldn't move. It was just boxes everywhere. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was like we was really like it was crazy. On some, it was a distribution <laughs> system. It was a, a real distribution <laughs> yeah. system yeah. going on. Did y'all yeah. have to hire people to get? We definitely had fully we staffed. Twenty eighteen people staffed. Yeah, we had a lot of people, and we like 24, 23, 24 years old. Yeah. Wow, moving that many mixtapes. Uh-huh. I mean, the money, it just, it was crazy. It was a different time. Like, <laughs> it, you know, it was new to me, too. Right. Did you go bonkers a little bit? Um, You know, I, I, I didn't really. I've learned a valuable lesson to not just let money sit in the bank. That's what I had learned at the time. You mm-hmm. know, because I had never, you know, I come from like a middle class family where I never had a lot of money, but I wasn't, I never was like, came from a, a a broke background so when i got money i didn't i just wanted to sit there and i wanted to look at it <laughs> you know so when they came and raided us and they took all the money i was like damn if i'd have did something with it it wouldn't have just been sitting there like that right so um what did i do I, I, we had some nice cars and stuff yeah and i didn't go too crazy i, I can say though john was popping popping and he still was living in that house he was the last one to move out the house. You moved out first? Who well, moved well, out first? You, only because I did. And because I was on the road with Tip. That's right. I was That's on the right. road with Tip, so I didn't have time to move. But you had a Benz, though. I, not you, there. Did you I had the Benz in that little ass house. <laughs> <laughs> Since remember all, no, all that shit. But, but the money just, it once it hit, like I remember once it got a top, my man Jason Brown, too, it had worked for me at the time. And, you know, he kind of helped put the system together. And I just. It just started escalating. It was going from you know from the tip tapes to the to Jeezy, and it was like Gangsta Grills was the hottest shit on the block. It was crazy. It was the hottest shit in America. Right. What was it? What was the gist of the FBI raid on you guys? What did they say they were trying to accomplish by that? Um, I mean, because we was wearing free drama T-shirts back. Then. <laughs> right. <laughs> Appreciate that. You know, the the story goes like I I. I there was a um there was a kiosk in the mall in in uh in uh what mall was that? It was in uh Morrow. What mall was out there? 
South, South Lake. South Lake. South, South Lake. Lake. My daughter works there right now, yeah. so I know. Shout <laughs> out to my daughter South, Tiffany. South Lake Mall. It was a, and it was a kiosk in the mall, and it was near. Um, it was close to Peppermint Music, and I guess Peppermint complained about the kiosk because she was selling CDs. So they they called the cops on her, and when the cops came to to see her she was like no these tapes are good like i get these from dj drama like these are all these are all legal like it's no problem so i guess from that um i guess the moral police went and you know um called the riaa and let them know hey you know this happened and you know she said we get them from this guy named dj drama so we had a website gangstergirls.com at the time and you know we had the office and it sounds like or it seemed like they you know they started staking out the office and mm. you know just they went to the website and and bought a couple cds and got them sent to them and, and what have you and you know i guess from the other from other music raids that were happening because it was kind of those things were happening a lot in atlanta where like you know bootleggers were getting raided and they would find like mm-hmm. uh uh uh, bags and fake shoes and all that shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they thought we was probably on the same shit. Um, so when they came for us, you know, and they, they were staking out the office and what have you, and they, you know, they rolled up and they, they came fully armed and, you know. How many deep, Sense? How many deep? Were you in the office at yeah, the time? Yeah, yeah. How many deep? Man, they thought we had some keepers yeah, on here. Yeah, this is a podcast. They thought we had some shit. They yeah, brought they the dogs they in. They definitely thought we had some shit. It was it was, it was they brought a whole squad in. Yeah, M16s, yeah. everything, you yeah. know. Everybody lay down. Everybody, everybody lay down. Where's like the you drugs? Drug Where's the guns? Yeah. Where's the money? And God bless that they came on a Monday morning cuz they didn't find a fucking spliff. <laughs> like you know, like yeah. right. you know, where we come from. You never know who might have a pistol on them or right. a, a bag, something yeah. like. They didn't find nothing, yep. nothing but CDs. Right. And what's so what was so crazy at the time too was I had I was doing the uh, interview for the New York Times Magazine, and the woman doing the interview, you know, was just really trying to get into the mixtape business, and you know. Uh, you know, mixtape business is always it's a it's a fine line, but it's it's something unspoke about. It's for promotional use only. Right. So she started asking me all these random questions and <laughs> about the business and it, it just was weird time and so when at the time when it all went down, you know, it was a lot of conspiracy theories and people saying, you know, this person told or this person told or the music business is going through a tough time and we want to make an example out of drama. And it was really crazy how the game changed. Like I look at all my peers who were around me at the time, what from from Case Lay to Clinton Sparks to um um, you know, so many people who, who have so many other ventures going on now mm-hmm. who were all at that time just about mixtapes, you know, but it was like they they knock drama in them. Oh, it's rap! Like this shit's done. It's yeah. over. You I remember being in, in in Who Kid's apartment, and he had duplication machines. Crazy. He had about twenty duplication machines, <laughs> and he was just duplicating, 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 just running, just running and running. Because at that time, like you guys, Who Kid was selling mixed CDs all over the world. Yeah, like yeah. you know the the amount of of, of mixtapes that were requests that were coming in from him from mm-hmm. different places mm-hmm. around the world was like it was mind blowing. That, that this incredible. dude, 
you know, was just really at the beginning of G-Union, what was going on. But before that, who kid was just making money, mm-hmm. hand over fist, just yeah, mixtape, mixtape, he's, he's mixtape. Mar- he's a marketing genius. I mean, I, I definitely salute to him for really yeah. pushing the culture forward outside of, you know, just outside of just the music, just the visually what he did for mixtapes. And, you know, he was the per- first person with the fold outs. You know, with, with, we um, definitely studied who kid. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just like, who kid. You know, with his um with sponsorships. Yeah. Yeah, yep. MTV logos uh-huh. on his shit and everything. So, yeah, yeah, we was those guys were, you know, salute. How did you guys get from up under that whole federal thing to get back to where you are and where you are now? Um, hard work, you know. I mean, I just felt like because I I have never seen anybody else go up against the feds and come out smelling all right. You know, just this hard work, really, and you know, it was a blessing, man. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a blessing, and you know, had it we had good a good team of of of, of us, you know, seeing that we, you know, we were all, we were friends first. Like, you know, we were doing this. We was we used to split fucking $150, like $200. Right. And DJ for six hours, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? So, you know, to the to, to that point in our careers in that year, 10 years ago, you know, to see where we had gotten, it was just like, you know, we, we had each other to really push each other forward and be like, yo, you know, we, you know, this is, this is, this ain't it. Like, you know, we, this is just a, this, this is going to make us bigger. And was it a square one rebuild? Um, or nah, did they I leave nah, y'all a little something? No, nah, they, they, we wound up, we wound up getting some of it back. Okay. They, they, we had a couple different accounts and my, the account that I had, uh, they, they kept the majority of the money that was in like, uh, my DJ drama account because they said they couldn't tell the difference on what money was what. Then we had, ironically, you know, through my Atlantic Records deal, they had frozen that account, but they wound up giving that back. So, you know, and at the time I was signed to, I had was signed to Atlantic through Grand Hustle and I hadn't put out my first album and the label got excited. Like, whoa, this is great publicity. Like, <laughs> you're on fire. Let's put the record out. You know, right. so, and I remember even that, that same year I had went to, um, Super Bowl was in Miami and I went down there and, you know, people knew me before that, like, you know, definitely in, hip-hop world and hip-hop culture but i could tell the difference on the type of attention that i was getting and i felt like oh this might work out in my favor you know <laughs> right when, when billboard called and wanted to put me on the cover we, by that point we was like oh we running with this like, yeah so and so it worked out in your favor it worked out in our favor yeah absolutely so your first album with atlantic atlantic approached you or, or did jason g to say hey let's do this i was um I had gotten to the point where Gangsta Girls was so hot that I had had a, a various offers from from various labels to do an album deal at the time, and you know I I feel like you know that those years um there hadn't been anybody since since Clue and uh, and Flex who had had been that hot, you know what I'm saying? That to to do albums and and me and Khaled kind of got our deals around the same time, and um. I went to Atlantic because, you know, one, I was definitely loyal to Grand Hustle and I had kind of known their system. And, you know, so, so yeah, they kind of approached me and, and offered me the deal. Okay. Craig Cowman and Julie Greenwald. Craig, Craig was there. Craig was there. Kaiser was there. Kaiser had just got that, that the whole Def Jam regime had just kind of, kind of gotten there. So, um, Julie had came over. Kaiser was there. Uh, Kev had just gotten there and, and so forth. So, you know, I, 
I felt like, you know, I was also in the, the company of greatness, you know, so I wanted to be over Tell there. me about your, you guys' mindset going into that first album because it's different when you're getting songs from people. Right. And it's different when you're, right. you know, when somebody says, here's some new material, here's some freestyles, put right. this all together, make this a Gangster Girls. Now you have to produce an yeah, album. It was tough. Um, it was that. Like, I felt like I was trying to put everything all into one. You know, that first album is like, you want to take all your ideas and everything you can and put it into one. Like, I remember that album had, like, 20 songs on it. <laughs> I wish I would have saved a couple, you know. But, right. But uh, I was just, um, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was something new. Like you said, like, you know, it's one thing for people to give you records and, you know, and put together a mixtape. Like, here we are trying to paint a canvas, you know. But but it was um. It was fun. It was interesting. It was it was hard. You know, I ran into realizing how much clearance is and oh you know, that God. whole world. Uh, how, what you got to do for that? But you know, I I had a song with Outcast on my first album, which was like, Fire. you know, just like for me, it was like, nigga, I got an Outcast record <laughs> right. at a time when Outcast wasn't even doing records like that. So you know, it was some it was some shit on there. Like I, I was proud of it. I was very proud of it. Your your job in putting that album together is to produce the entire record or to line up the producers you want to work with. Line up the producers and line up the records and kind of you know be the overseer somewhat. So right. Canna had a lot of Canna had a lot of production on that album, um, and but we all you know we all pretty much you know played a role in and helping put it together. Um, right. You know, one of the song what what was supposed to be the first single was was canon with the Lil Wayne record, which had come from Dedication 2 mixtape. And then um, at, then we did Feds Taking Pictures, which was, you know, which I feel like Atlantic dropped the ball on, you know, seeing what was going on at the time for me and everything. Jeezy, um, Tip, um, Ross, Young Buck, there? Jim Jones, yep. and Will was on there. Yeah. Yep. And then the Outcast, the Outcast, <laughs> right, the Outcast record, I had been, ch- I was supposed to do an Outcast mixtape before Idlewild they came to me to do a Gangster Grills mm-hmm. that's when Blue Williams was still managing them shout out to Blue um, and the tape wound up not happening due to, to time restraints so they wound up calling me on the phone um, uh, Three Stacks Big and Blue and it was like look Drum you know sorry we didn't get the tape done but how about if we give you a, a song for your album and I was like hell yeah let's, <laughs> shit, let's do it you know easier said than done you right. know what i'm saying so next thing you know i'm trying to tra- i'm trying to chase andre down you know i'm i send them beats from swizz i send them many fresh beats <laughs> i send them just blaze beats and it was just like nothing was sticking and then um i had canon had made me this beat that i had i had just did this um jim jones mixtape and i was told canon yo i need to be like that he made me a beat then the raid happened um the next day Called my man Lake Show, who was managing Marsha Ambrosius at the time, and I was like, "Yo, see if Marsha can do this hook," because I was, you know, feeling like nobody can stop us. We still going, like, let's do it. Marsha did the hook for me. I sent it to three thousand. He was like, "Give me twenty four hours." He sent it back, and that's how the, that record was born. Wow. Yeah. So out of all the other stuff you sent him, he wasn't feeling it. I don't know. I want to say he wasn't feeling it, but it didn't. He didn't do anything on it. Okay. So I, don't, I don't want no guys to feel that type of way. Because <laughs> they were all great beats. Right, yeah. right, right, right. And Because it, it's difficult, you know what I mean? A lot of that stuff happens behind the scenes yeah. in, no, in the I, music business. And it's tough, you know, when you do a DJ album, you got, like, you know, you you, you have 40 artists and, and 15 producers and, you know, like, 
you you got you want to be fair like with people's fees and you know and it just it it's it's not easy putting them the albums together yeah you know? i bet yeah i bet i bet that you want to feed everybody's ego that's a yeah. lot of fucking egos to be dealing with <laughs> how do you figure out out of all that stuff that you get what makes the cut of your album and what doesn't um um some of it was just you know some things don't get cleared and some you just you know you 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 put your life on the line and just a lot of phone calls and you know it's so crazy because you sign you sign to a major label and then you find yourself making all the phone calls (laughs) (laughs) i remember that like yo i'm like i'm signed to the label like why am i having to call all these people but you know it's just the name of the game and you know i'm saying thankfully you know i i have relationships and it it also helped me build relationships by doing that let's talk about what you got going on with generation now tell me about uh uzi vert and how you found him and what about him that captured your imagination or made you want to work with this dude? Generation Now um, was actually a mixtape title that we coined in like 2004. Um, Kanye, it was a tape Kanye hosted before um, College Dropout came out. Um, And, you know, we held on to the title. And I guess, you know, I started, I did did two albums over at Atlantic and then I, uh, I, I departed from Atlantic, and amicably or amicably, yep, okay, amicably. Uh, we departed, you know, and they 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 let me go, and it was cool, you know. I also think they felt like you know the, the album, the DJ album thing was kind of hard, and I was I didn't even know if I wanted to do records, and I wound up um, in the studio um, with um, Roscoe Dash and Drummer Boy, and we were working on some stuff, and I wound up coming out with this this record called Oh My which um, had uh, uh, Wiz Khalifa and Fab on it. And I did that record and started gaining, gaining some steam. I wound up getting a deal over at E1, um, E1 slash Koch. Um, shout out to Alan Grumblack. Marlene. Shout out to Alan. Used to be the head of Relativity. Gave me and Dre a deal over there. Marlene shout out to him. Over there. So I wound up going over there. Um, but I still wound up using all the same people, you know, that I was working with at Atlantic to do various things, whether it was the videos or whether it was um, mix shows or what have you. So long story short, did a couple, I did my albums over at, um, at E1. I did, um, did, did the one that Omai was on. Then I did my next album, Quality Street Music. And uh, my, this record called My Moment was on there, which was my biggest record at the time, um, To Change Jeremiah and uh, Meek Mill. And, uh, my man Crespo used to, you know, used to tell me like, you know, you should try, you should try this A and R thing, you know, see about, you know, you're putting these these records together. So he put he put a bug in the Craig Calma's ear, and um, I wound up come kind of coming back over to Atlantic. You know, they offered me a situation at the time. Cannon was a vice president over at Def Jam. We were building. I was building Mean as I was working on Quality Street Music. I was building Mean Street Studios. And, you know, there was some artists that I had, I felt like I had just missed out on, um, you know. Namely? Migos. Okay. Uh, took Migos to go meet with Alan. Um, Migos came across your desk? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the check that Alan had offered them was not big enough. Okay. But, you know, they, they, we was rocking. Like, you know, I was fucking with them. And my man Pat had brought them to me, um, certified Pat, you know. And so... Yeah, Migos came across my desk. Um, Tory Lanes, you know, we tried to do that. Um, this kid named T Fly, 
who wound up, I think, signed with Epic. So long story short, I felt like, listen, man, like we keep missing out on these artists, so we got to do this. And I had already, I had started my job over at Atlantic. You know, Mean Streets was bi- was being built. Kenny came, um, I remember we were in here one time, and he's just like, yo, I was in Philly, this kid Lil Uzi, I heard it on the radio, and I just was like, let's do it. <laughs> Never heard it. Never heard him. <laughs> no, and didn't hear a lick. I was just like, run it, because, you know, I trust Cannon's ear, and I just know I didn't want to miss out on anything else. Like mm-hmm. I had been right there for so many things, and I had felt like that was part of my career. That it was one of the things I hadn't accomplished yet. You know, somebody coming. You know, we had been part of so many mixtapes and watched so many artists flourish. You know what I'm saying? Which is a great feeling, but it's like you know these, you know these guys got big and I we were part of these careers you know and 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 you know we definitely benefited as well so can but didn't benefit in the long run on it uh I wouldn't say that I mean you know we here we are at Main Street Studio <laughs> but, you know, I, so there was some benefit yeah absolutely I, I, I definitely feel like it was benefits on all terms regardless but so so yeah so I wound up uh so Cannon Cannon told us about Uzi um, I said, Rock, let's do it. You know, he started a, a relationship. I was on tour with uh, uh, Wiz Khalifa um, in 2014, and uh, Wiz Khalifa, Jeezy, a couple other people, and we were in Jersey. Um, Uzi came to the show, and he got he came on the bus, and he, he made, like, some smart-ass comment to me first time he met me. And I was like, yo. But no, seeing, looking back and knowing it, I, I liked it that, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because I could tell, you know, he wasn't like kind of, you know, it didn't matter to him that he was talking to DJ Drama. He was cracking a joke. So, you know, hence that's how, um, that's how I first met him. And, you know, the music, we started to hear the music. And at the time when I was at Atlantic, you know, they were kind of, I was still feeling, figuring out the role that I was, you know, given as an A and R, and certain projects were coming across my desk that just didn't, you know, it it it, it didn't gel. And I basically told them like, "Yo, this is Kid Lil Uzi. Let us do this. Give us this. Let us work our magic. Do how we do best." And boom. And they were like, "Look, we're gonna give you Uzi. Do your thing. Focus on that, and let's see how it goes." Okay, so they did. They didn't make you work on all the other shit that you didn't. They tried. Like. <laughs> they they tried to make to to do it. It just didn't. It just didn't didn't gel the same way. Yeah, they're like, we giving you a check. This is what we want you to yeah, do. Yeah, and it was you know they were looking at Main Streets like you know what's what's going on you know and it was in a year's time it was like a whole one eighty within the system when they were like yo Main Streets is amazing Uzi's popping and you know and and, and it's looking back on it like I tell the story like. Um, and just how the game works, you know, I remember being in an A&R meeting and, you know, they're like, listen, okay, Drum, you know, Uzi's from Philly, you know, um, you got him out in Atlanta, um, um, but, you know, we need him hot in Philly. Like, you, are, this, the way hip-hop works is you got to be hot in your backyard before you blow up. Like, mm. That's just how it goes. And I was like, I don't agree. Like, that's not – that's the old formula like that's, right that that's not that's not right anymore like the the internet changed all that j cole wasn't hot in fayetteville that's right not at all <laughs> like wiz khalifa wasn't the man in pittsburgh per se before he was drake wasn't it wasn't because of toronto you know it was the internet like um fucking you know and i i'd used various examples you know what i'm saying so you know um it was and i used i used that example for uzi like i don't 
necessarily think we have to make Uzi hot in Philly first for him to be where he is. And, you know, I, I was able to prove them, um, you know, prove them wrong. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure they're happy about that. How, how did you build Uzi from the time that you guys, uh, um, Cannon first got him? We took him on tour. I took him on the, um, I took him on the, uh, on the Boys of Summer tour with Wiz Khalifa and Fall Out Boy. And uh, he had did a record with Carnage um, called What Do You Want, which was originally his record that he gave to Carnage. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it started to really buzz. And we a lot of a lot of Uzi's original like buzz started in L.A. because, you know, that's where we did a majority of our gigs out in L.A. where we worked. So we would play him a lot out there. And then, you know, he was also creating his own, you know, fan base and just kind of, you know his own, um, his own, his own relationships with 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 ASAP early, and you know him being in Mean Streets. I mean, you know he met Thug here, like you know before Uzi was recording in the B Room, Thug was in the B Room. So right. you know we just we took him to South by Southwest in uh, in 2015. I kind of felt like that was the coming out party, and then after that we moved him down here and we just kept working. We just worked it. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't hurt to have a studio where everybody's recording out. It's a great, it's, <laughs> that's a it's great, a great additive. It's a great additive, a great meeting place. Absolutely. Great, what do you look for if there's an uh, an artist that's listening to this podcast right now? What do you guys look for in an artist? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm one to believe that you know that there's no. There's no book to this. Like you know, every, if there was, everybody would be famous. Exactly. <laughs> like it's like you know, if we all could make. If if it was that easy to make a hit record, that I'd have them in my back pocket. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I don't know if I I look for anything. Like I just, you know, I think, I think timing is special. I think, um, you know, I just inspiration. Like I don't know. I don't I don't know if I look for anything. Like I just the other day, I remember I was in um, I was in uh um in Houston, and these kids came up to me. And, and we were at a Lil Wayne party, and they just were like, yo, can we rap for you, Drama? And it's like, as soon as they came to me, I just had this vision of the new edition story when mm. Boys to Men walked over to, uh, to, to Michael Bivens, and I was right. like, yes, rap for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know so, you know, I I don't, like, it's, I, sometimes I tell people a lot of times, you know, if if it's if you're doing your thing, I'll come to you before you need to come to me. You know Okay. Because I, mean? I, I just feel like, you know, so many outlets, and it's so the game has changed so much where you can accomplish so much without needing a record label or a manager or any of those things. Like you can go to SoundCloud and create your own fan base. So Right. And build that fan base build up. That fan base. If you're serious and you're dedicated to, to what you're doing. Since has anything ever came across your desk, uh, or you guys' desk that you remember that y'all said, mm, nah, and then the shit blew up? I mean, shit. We didn't know the Young Jeezy shit was going to work. Really? When it first came. No, Jesus. It was ahead of his time. Yeah, uh-huh. it was ahead of time. But I give Dron credit for that because he went ahead and rocked with it anyway and did the mixtape. Right, and then it, it turned out to be a blessing on that. I don't know a lot of that stuff. I didn't know the Wayne tape was going to do that either. Like, but you kind of felt the Wayne like you. I did, but I never knew. I didn't know it was going to be that. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Because Wayne, he he hadn't been that. Like he was doing the squad up tapes. Yeah. But Jeezy, like. Jeezy sat me down and was like, listen, I got a vision. Like, this is my vision, and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, I had never done – before Jeezy, I had never done a tape with – like, Tip was kind of already – you know, he was he was known in Atlanta. Yeah. But there was nobody – like, Jeezy was the first 
new artists on the Gangster Grills. Like mm-hmm. there had been no new artists. So when his tape came out, it was a Gangster Grills was bigger, way bigger than Young Jeezy. Like they wouldn't say, "Yo, this is the new Jeezy Gangster Grills." They'd be like, "This is the new Gangster Grills." So right. Jeezy had that vision, and I was I was going along with the ride. And when it, you know, when it hit, it was like it hit and i was like okay this is special like this yeah. is special yeah this guy's voice first of all his voice alone was special right. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and I mean, and the fact that uh it was like his own style his own lane there wasn't too many people in that lane at that time that era that time period that was the whole the bmf the whole that whole atlanta was just and we was DJing all those parties, all those clubs. Right. It that shit felt like New Jack City. Right. Like, Cause it was. <laughs> <laughs> and then because that, that it was absolutely a was. For it. Yeah. So that shit, that, that time, that era was crazy. Yeah. So now it's it's Mean Streets. It's it's Little Easy Vert. It's it's Generation Now. What's next? Um. What the know, fuck just, haven't y'all done that y'all want to do? That's still a lot. Got a lot of things. Yeah, Score a film maybe. Since you did start out in film. You know, film. That's in the making. You know, Grammys. Yep. You don't have a Grammy? No. No, I got a shout out the other day. <laughs> Who shouted you out on the Grammy? Yeah, Chance the Rapper. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he shouted me out. That was pretty cool. Um, I, It's a lot. I, I don't, I don't like, just like anybody, I just, you know, I, we're very grateful and thankful for Definitely. The, the accomplishments. But tomorrow, you know, it's it's it's, it's like the ball you know it's, it's it's the rucker like you know what i'm saying i want to mm-hmm. show and prove every day so you know i i try to strive to continuously to you know be part of the culture and be relevant and and amass you know more success there I mean, you go. i love a shout out to you you know saturday mornings that's what if it wasn't for your mtv raps we wouldn't even be here. Man, every day after school, bro. We try to spread the gospel. <laughs> I think we I think we did a good job, every, man. We want every, we want the hip hop to be for everybody from every city, from every town. And I think we did a good job with that. And Definitely. you know, I'm I'm grateful to have been a part of that, man. And thank you guys for doing the this come on son podcast. Especially because of because of you and the shit that happened, drama. It's that lover man. It's the come on son podcast. As always, y'all keep God first. Everything will fall into place. Till the next time I talk to y'all. Come on, son. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. Come on, son. This episode of Come On Son, the podcast is produced and engineered by co-executive producers Kimana Paulus and Krista Hayes. Recorded at Mean Street Studios in downtown Atlanta, Georgia, this is an official Loudspeakers Network podcast. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.